1: Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything that Tom and myself have been up to uh, with a little bit of a festive focus this morning. We've been talking Christmas nomics with Tom Harvey, the Commercial General Manager of Spinneys. He says that it's on record to be their busiest one yet. Uh, we've also been speaking to the guys from Cafu about their entry into the hand car market. We've been looking at those rate decisions from the ECB and the BOE. And uh, we've been looking at amortisation, the late Private companies that qualify for amortization targets will have to hit them in order to be prioritized to get government tenders. Tom's been taking a look at what's been happening with central banks that decided to leave their rates on hold yesterday.
0: Yeah, uh, both the ECB and the BOE left their rates on hold. uh, we turn to Ed Bell uh, for a little bit of insight on this one. He's director of market economics Emirates MBD. He, we asked Ed to put that into context for us.
2: For the ECB, the bank held its deposit facility, one of its main interest rates, at 4% and warned that while inflation had dropped in recent months, it is likely to pick up again. Now, beyond holding interest rates, the ECB also signaled that it would accelerate its quantitative tightening next year, and it's another tool that central banks can use to keep policy relatively restrictive. For the Bank of England, it held the bank rate at five and a quarter percent and actually three members of the MPC voted for a 25 basis point hike. Now, given that inflation is relatively higher in the UK than it is in peer economies, if we look at uh, the latest inflation print for the UK, it was about 4.6% versus 3.1% in the US, the Bank of England is going to need to maintain that kind of hawkish language saying that monetary policy is likely to need to be sufficiently restrictive. And it also seemed to look through the recent deceleration in wage growth in the UK. Uh,
0: What does that mean for us? Markets are still looking for
2: rate cuts from both of these central banks next year, so it's really going to be up to policymakers to kind of hold their nerve and try and get inflation lower. In terms of how it's going to affect global markets, we've seen pretty big increases in the value of both the euro and the British pound in the last couple of days. The euro is trading at about 2% stronger than it was at the end of last week, while the pound is up by about 1.7%, and both currencies are considerably stronger than they were one year ago. That'll make any trips or spending in the UK or Europe feel relatively more expensive on a currency basis and could also impact the cost of imported goods from those markets if firms here pass through the currency Costs to consumers.
0: at Bell, Emirates MBD. This is the bite sized business breakfast exclusively on Dubaii1038.com. Right, so you might have heard that uh, recently the UAE government has announced that private sector companies that comply with the annual amortization targets will be treated preferentially for government tenders. At the moment, private sector companies with 50 or more employees are required to increase their amortisation percentages by 2% every year, 1% every six months, until they reach the 10% by 2026. Uh, So uh, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for your business uh, how amortisation ready are you? Uh, are you a, a company uh, that is complying with the uh, percentage uh, demands at the moment? Uh, do send us your thoughts. You can text us now on 4001. We're going to take some legal advice though if that's okay because joined in studio by the associate in Clyde & Co's employment department Lisa Murad has been kind enough to join us this morning. Morning Lisa, lovely to see you. Morning. Great to have you with us here at this uh, busy time of year. So new announcement more clarification on a story that you and I have talked about in the past Uh, what's the latest what's your reading of this latest announcement and what does it mean for businesses here
3: yeah, the announcement came out yesterday and it is quite interesting. The Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of uh, Human Resources and Emiratisation have announced that private sector companies who are subject to emiratisation targets and who are complying with their targets will be treated preferentially when it comes to government tenders. So they will have a better chance of winning the tender.
0: Is there... Is there, is there a precursor to this? Have we had a sort of similar law in place across the UAE before this?
3: Well, we have a very similar arrangement, which is particularly applied in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, which is the in-country value program, the ICV, um, where companies who want to participate in government tenders um, in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, and it's sometimes also applied across the wider UAE have to present what is called an ICV certificate with a specific ICV score. And this ICV certificate already takes into account things like um, your emiratization percentage uh, and your localization efforts in terms of supply chain, for example.
0: So there is um, precedence here and we shouldn't be surprised by this latest move. But again, for private sector companies, and again, that uh, certainly seems to be those that have been focusing on here. What does it specifically mean for them? Is it going to have an impact?
3: Yeah, I think it, it, it means for private sector companies that amortization efforts just move Um, on the top of their agenda if they weren't there already because in addition to being subject to potential fines if you have a shortfall in your emiratization quota, potential blocks of your ministry files that the ministry could impose, issues with other hiring efforts, um, in addition to that um, if you are a private sector company who is um, taking part in government tenders you might now simply have issues to win such a tender. If you are competing with other private sector companies Companies that are compliant.
0: It's a new law that obviously um, yourself and many in the in the legal industry have been uh, re- looking for greater clarification uh, on what this law means and how it can be uh, impact how it will impact certain uh, certain businesses. I mean was there a sense of inevitability about this latest update?
3: Well, in a way, I would say yes, because it is uh, on top of the UAE's uh, vision, um, I believe, for 2020-30 to have this major increase in uh, UAE national population in the private sector. So I think it was a matter of time to um, to kind of see um, these other requirements as well, that in addition to facing fines and all these other measures I have mentioned, that it might just be getting more difficult um, to uh, to win government tenders or government contracts if you are not compliant with amortization efforts. Achievable? Uh, well, if you ask our clients, some of them might tell you, yes, it is uh, it is achievable and it is, it is possible. Um, others of our clients and um, clients that I'm advising, they are really struggling with attracting talent. Um, but in particular, they're also struggling with retaining uh, talent um, because the war in the market is great at the moment. Everyone's looking for top uh, UEE talent. And if one client hired someone, it's sometimes a matter of time until they get a better offer and they just move to a different company and they are then back at point one and have to start hiring again to backfill the position.
0: So that, is something that we've talked a lot about during 2023, uh, not specifically with amortization, but just with recruitment in general. Mm-hmm. It's the R word. It's retention, retention, retention. Yet yeah, a lot of people wanting to move here. Uh, Yet yeah, there are certain roles that are being advertised. But uh, because of that competition, it's retaining the talent. Is that I mean, is that a problem across the employment sphere here at the moment? Or are we really seeing that being ramped up in the amortization area?
3: I think I particularly see it in the legal sector because I think this is just a sector I am closest uh, to due to my role. And I do see that there is a lot of movement uh, in the market uh, at the moment. A lot of firms are setting up uh, companies uh, in in this region, whether this is uh, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia or here in the UAE. um, And they are looking for for people that have the experience in the market. And so there's also a big movement, um, not only amongst UAE nationals, but also amongst expats um, in the region at the moment.
0: There's there's competition within the country. There's competition outside the country borders as well. You mentioned the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Again, could we take this of evidence of of, of the government here trying to sort of shore up the employment laws in the sense that, you know, a lot of people are being attracted by larger salaries, not bigger salaries, but but larger salaries and greater benefits in Saudi Arabia. Are we seeing a little bit of a, a war for talent at the moment?
3: Um, I can say that uh, we surely see a war for talent. So when I see that uh, staff of clients uh, um, get offers from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, as you are suggesting, salaries are usually higher. Yeah. Um, they're really fighting for talents uh, f- to move from the UAE um, into the Kingdom. So this is something we see, we do see frequently. Um, so it seems to be uh, in an effort uh, of the UAE to kind of contain uh, local talent uh, as well with these latest announcements
0: yeah and just back to those announcements obviously we're focusing a lot on 2023 we've talked about uh, the development of this law throughout the year uh, but this obviously targeting january the first next year as well those new requirements coming in for uh, private sector companies with 20 to 49 employees rather than the uh, 50 employees and above that we had before and then these new sort of um uh, i don't like using the word quotas, but uh, these new vi- uh, these new targets, if you like, to hire at least one UAE national in the calendar year of 24, and that's moving yeah. forward to 25 as well. Is that something that you see continuing? Will we have more updates on this?
3: Yes, um, with considering the frequency, the updates are coming in uh, within the calendar year of 2023. I think we can expect more updates yeah. as soon as the government sees that this is all very successful and it works. Um, As you have mentioned from the 1st of January onwards, we see this expansion into small to medium-sized companies that will also be affected by amortization, uh, let's call it quotas, or by this one UAE national that they have to hire in 2024 with an additional hire in 2025.
0: Are companies complying?
3: Um, at the moment, I would say with the current quotas, many companies do struggle because it is difficult. Um reasons
0: you gave earlier. Yeah,
3: it is difficult to find employees um, and UAE Nationals in particular um, at the moment uh, to fulfill the quota. So we do see a lot of clients struggling who have actually budgeted uh, for the fines um, at the year end, wow. um, okay. yeah, for for the um, for the new rules that are coming in from the first of January for the one UAE national for SMEs, um, I think the discussions we had of we had with clients were not that in depth at the moment, mm-hmm. um, but I think for them it will not be so difficult because you just need the one in sure. 2024 and the second one in 2025.
0: Lisa, thanks for all your help today. Thanks for all your help throughout the year as well. You've been a great supporter of the show, so thank, thank you to you. Me. And all the team at Clyde & Co. Lisa Murad is associate in Clyde & Co.'s employment department. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
1: Yeah, we are talking Christmas nomics this morning.
4: You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming
1: to town not centre yet, but we do have Tom Harvey, the next best thing, commercial general manager of Spinney's. Morning, Tom.
5: Good morning and happy Christmas.
1: And you, how's the Christmas party season treating you?
5: Uh, it's been busy. Busy um, busy on the parties, busy at work.
1: Yeah, and the work bit is uh, what we want to know about this morning, although the party bit is the reason partly that we moved to Tom's interview this morning by about half an hour out of Festive Niceness. Thank you. Let him have a bit more of a sleep in. One of us was caroling last night. Right. Let's have a look at where we are with your Christmas sales. You say it's been busy. How busy is busy?
5: Well, we'd we'd normally say every year all Christmas is coming a little bit later, but no, this year it has been um it's been a bumper year. Um so pretty much across the board everything little bit like you're talking stock markets it's green arrows everywhere so uh, Christmas trees our best year ever 30 percent increase in Christmas trees uh, we've been 30 percent up on the advent calendars the absolute star of the show has been uh, those good old candy canes so we're a hundred and forty percent more candy canes sold this year than last year but everything is flying
1: why do you think candy canes in particular
5: well Partly it's because we uh, we started selling them a little bit earlier. I mean, people people get a bit annoyed when uh, they see Christmas arrive on the first day of, uh, of November, but they keep buying the stuff. So, um, yeah, candy canes has been really strong. But people love to decorate the tree. As I say, we've seen more trees sold this year. Um, we think that quite a lot more people are going to be staying here and a lot more people will be coming to stay uh, with the residents of the UAE. And so... People are just having a, a much bigger Christmas than they have in the past.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen a picture of Lewis Allsop's Christmas tree randomly, which is covered in candy canes. It's the theme he's gone for. How I know that? Quite insane. But it can't just be Lewis who's buying your candy canes. Talk to me about that theory that you have of more people in town break it down for me
5: well we've 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 had a very strong year um, uh, particularly in terms of customer numbers in terms of transactions we've talked about it quite a, quite a bit over the years so we're, we're, we're roughly looking at about transactions being up 10% but just all the indications in terms of what we're seeing things like the pre-orders for turkeys um, which is a which is a strong indicator turkeys fresh turkeys for us is, is always quite a last minute because they don't arrive on the shelves until uh, the 21st of December um, but we take pre-orders for turkeys up until the Seventeenth, so there are three more days, including today, to uh, to get them in. But everything is just indicating that uh, the the things that people would have on Christmas Day, the things they buy in advance for Christmas Day, um, are looking very very strong.
1: So you think more of us are staying around in town?
5: Yeah, I do. And it's one of the one of the people I was talking with, or two of the people I was talking with at the soirée last night regular business breakfast guests, so uh, Paul Griffiths from Dubai Airports and Cole McLaughlin actually, um, we were all saying, yep, yeah, it, feels, it feels like more people are coming in um, than are, would, would normally be heading out.
1: And presumably if candy canes are decorating a tree, you've got a bit of a multiplier effect there, haven't you? Because one person's probably buying 30, 40 plus.
5: Yes, yeah, it's it's good and it's you know it's it's the candy canes but all of the Christmas decorations, um all of the other things that people put around the house, things like poinsettias, everything is up. It's a it's a very very strong Christmas. We think it'll probably be the biggest one ever.
1: Any indication of demographic changes from what's selling? Any Sort of trend you're seeing from particular home countries, stuff that's more in demand product-wise.
5: We're not we're not seeing significant changes yet, um, but we are changing what we do. So um, we are conscious that um, now with with changes to the population, there are effectively going to be two Christmases. Orthodox. So 25th of December and then 7th of January. Um, so we will certainly be keeping a lot of products on sale that normally we might have uh, as soon as we get to New Year um, start to be uh, to be withdrawing from the shelves. Um, we'll be keeping that. On because we know there is a uh, going to be a second Christmas and we again expect that to be big as well.
1: Does Christmas itself go through trends? Are some things more popular in some years than others?
5: We we see here people are looking actually for. Um, in terms of those that celebrate the, sort of the traditional European Christmas, they keep it very traditional. They want all of the classics. Um, but obviously, we're, we're serving everybody, so it's not just about turkey. Um, there's a lot of people will be having a big barbecue, so it's the or the or the braai. Um, But it's 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 quite traditional consumption every single year. Um, we're just having a good year in terms of selling more of everything.
1: Talk to me about the price of that. There's been reports in the UK that the Christmas dinner is going to be about 13% more expensive. Veggie prices are up, Uh, weather conditions and also energy prices to cook it all. What's happening to the price of the Christmas dinner that you're selling?
5: Absolutely no change. Um, so we've we've got the benefits, unlike I guess some of the European countries that um, uh, the, the, the relatively stronger dollar um, has helped us to keep that under control. As a as a as a country overall, our inflation has been sat significantly lower than uh, than, than than a lot of the Western uh, Western countries, um, and and that has continued. And we continue to see much lower levels of inflation than we do in the West. Um, so uh, there's there's no increase in the price of a Christmas dinner from us this year.
1: Let's look, as we've got you in here, at how the year has been as a whole. I'm not sure whether or not you've crunched your final numbers yet, but what kind of indication can you give us? Uh,
5: we can give you an indication it's been very good. We, we, as you know, are a private com- company, so we, uh, we don't share a, a, uh, any information in terms of the specifics. But as the year has gone on, it has just got bigger and bigger and bigger um, and uh, will be certainly a, a record year for us um, overall, both in terms of sales, but more importantly, in terms of the number of customers that we're serving um, and we are feeling very confident about 2024 and beyond
1: what could we see from you on 2024 i mean you just mentioned there that spinney's is a private company Will we still be having that same conversation at the end of next year, do you think?
5: Well, that's not something I'm allowed to comment on at this stage. But uh, we continue to explore all options. Um, but we have certainly got um, a lot of exciting things coming up. So there's new stores opening. Um, next store actually opens in Archa um in, um, in, in January. Um, and there's quite a few more stores to get to, uh, to open through the year. And some new interesting concepts that we will come back and talk to you about in the um, in the maybe February or March in terms of uh, a new retail format but uh, I'll save that for when it comes up.
1: 20 seconds left with you I mean one of the big things we've spoken about this year has been that Saudi push what about new geographies?
5: Yeah so Saudi we are well underway with that and again um, we have got stores uh, under construction the very final stages of construction in Riyadh um, and we will have our first stores opening in Riyadh uh, within the first half of 2024.
1: And before we let you go, the mince pie debate between Tom and myself. He says puff pastry. I say short crust. You're the man. Short
5: crust. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my mum's recipe with 50% almond flour. That's the best one.
1: The one from home is always the best one. Tom Harvey joining us this morning in the hot seat. Commercial general manager of Spinney's. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Just the highlights. This is the bite-sized business breakfast.
1: Where we were intrigued about 48 hours ago, by an email that pinged into uh, the business breakfast inbox, uh, inviting us to sell or buy a car if we wanted to. But the people sending it were Kefu. The fuel ferry is moving into the secondhand motor business. We wanted to know why. So in the studio this morning, we have Ala Alhuni, is the head of partnerships at Kefu. It's lovely to speak to you. Thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here.
1: Why on earth do you want to start selling cars? Uh,
4: The reality is is we're very close to our customers. We have a very, very large user base. All our customers are people who own and and operate vehicles. And it was really from them that we understood that there is a failure in the market. It is not a fun experience at all to try to sell your car or to buy a used car. And uh, because we're so strong in technology, we took a step back the same way as we did with fuel and tried to think, how can we make it more convenient for our customers to buy and sell cars and technologically enable the process.
1: Okay, so how do you think you can make it more fun?
4: Uh, first of all, is we want to remove as many headaches as possible. So I think the first step in, into selling a car would be listing it. Uh, currently, we are able to come to the customer, wherever the customer is, and inspect the car on site, take the photographs for them and create that listing on, on behalf of the customer and place it there for them. We even help them understand the value of their vehicle, which I think is one of the challenges that I personally faced when, when I looked at selling my previous car.
1: Okay, so you get it up there for me, then what do you do?
4: Um, because we have such a large user base, um, most of our customers are buyers and sellers of vehicles themselves, so it's out there on a platform that allows every single car owner and user to be able to see what is out there on the market, get an indication of the value and be able to smooth that flow for them to be able to to, to acquire that that vehicle as well.
1: Okay, but talk about that smoothing of the the flow because there are other platforms at the moment that will also value your car for you, get it inspected, put their little stamp of certification saying that it's been inspected by X or Y and put it up on the platform. Where are you different?
4: So the the reality right now is um, we do this at no cost to our customers. So listing the the, the vehicle, you wouldn't have to pay a single cent in, in doing so. And ultimately where we want to get to is every single point of friction that a customer faces, we would want to be able to step in and help the customer do that on their behalf. The same way as we come all the way to the customer, fill up their car, wash their car, change their tires, change their oil. Um, The one area where in the future we really feel that there will be a lot of value is in assisting the customers in the purchase, registration and delivery of the vehicle as well.
1: Okay, so you're not doing that yet?
4: That is the direction we're moving towards.
1: How much will you be able to do of that for me? Will you be able to go to the RTA and do it on my behalf?
4: Um, That currently does exist in the market today. So with the power of attorney, um, um, many different uh, agents would be able to go on behalf of a customer and do so. I think as a manual start, that's something that we would look at. What we would really love to do is to have this happen as digitally as possible without a lot of paperwork. And if, if possible, have it as a seamless transaction that just happens on a platform.
1: Okay, let's talk about making money. You said there's no price to list, but there is a price to inspect the car.
4: So for the inspection at the moment, um, there is a nominal price for the pictures and, and, and the inspection.
1: Okay, and how else do you make money? Because you have to make money. You're a business.
4: Absolutely. Um, from our perspective, most important thing is to to have a close relationship with our customers. And um, owning and operating a vehicle is not just a one time occasion. You would buy a vehicle, use it for three, four, five years, and we wanna have that relationship with our customers for that extensive period of time. So what we see it as is it's the beginning of a journey or the end of a journey and the beginning of a new one with that vehicle, with that same customer, across the entire ecosystem of, of services of CAFO.
1: Okay, but you take a fee if it sells.
4: Yes, we do. But we're as we are very competitive with gas stations, we sell at the exact same price as a gas station does. Our aim is to be very, very competitive, have that convenience and not overcharge our customers in any way or form.
1: The late, great Malcolm Taylor was always fascinated by the fact that you are effectively capped on fuel prices. And so your margin is capped as well. Is there a, a better margin for you? Is this a way for, for CAFU to become more profitable?
4: Absolutely. Um, um, most of the services uh, that we have are. Um, the less common a transaction is, usually the higher of a margin there is with that. So fueling is a very, very consistent touch point between us and our customers. Whilst buying and selling a car is probably, on average, every three, four years, there would be a decent margin to be made. Uh, absolutely. You've got a lot
1: of competition out there, though, because there are a lot of platforms that would like me to list a car on them. Is there room for for all of you, do you think? How are you going to... My, rather than competing about a, against about a dozen, what do you think needs to happen next?
4: So, first of all, we do what we always do. We focus on our customer first and try to give them the best experience. And our belief is our customers uh, really want several things. They want to remove the pain points, the headaches behind the, the, the experience. And, and to be honest, it is a little bit of a broken experience today in the market. Um, number two, we want to do it at a very, very fair price. And we don't just mean our services, but the value of the vehicle in itself. Um, For us, we're not here just to deal with the customer one time every three, four years. We want to have a steady relationship with them throughout their ownership journey. And hence, it's really, really important for us to have that trust, be able to to, to develop it with the customer. And our commitment is really going to be there. That's where I think our, our differentiation will be.
1: Uh, well, the big thing about the fuel theory, of course, uh, as cafe was that I don't need to be there when you fuel up my car. How much of this process do I not need to be there for?
4: So ideally, we want to get to the point where it's the exact same thing, where where it's zero contact if, if that's what the customer wants. Um, we're not there yet. I think a lot will need to happen, not just with us, but with the market in itself to allow for that to happen. But we believe there's a path towards that.
1: It's not the only new service that you are launching on the Kefu app, also bringing in spot refueling, pressure washing. Tell me how far you think you can go as an app. How much more can you add?
4: I, I think uh, sky's the limit. We um, if there, w- What we are focused on is vehicles, vehicle owners, and their experiences uh, and their journeys. If there's any touchpoint with your vehicle that you feel that service can be improved, can be better provided then we're going to listen to you and try to find a way to, to do that.
1: And what kind of numbers
4: are you talking at the moment for users? Where are you? So we're well, to, to be honest with you, one of the numbers that I can share is we're probably the largest database for a private uh, company when it comes to vehicles in the UAE. We have surpassed the million vehicles registered on our platform. So this is not just downloads. This is people who have downloaded the app, who have registered their vehicle and who... Have have used our service. So,
1: can you give me any idea about the growth rate that you've seen this year?
4: Uh, to be honest, I don't know it off the off the back of my head, um, but we have seen significant growth this year. I could tell you, um, I, we are close to five hundred fuel delivery vehicles. I think previously, in in a previous occasion, we had shared. So that indicatively could 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 give you uh, uh, an indication of how fast we are scaling it's really based on demand um, customers are, are are really out there uh, placing the orders. We could see what our funnel looks like and and how much of a demand for our service are really there, and we're trying to catch up with that demand as much as possible. Our bottleneck is is, is not the demand is not the customers is not the, the the requirement of our services is how fast we're able to ramp up and deliver. To, to our customers' needs. Well,
1: thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning. Ala Alhuni is the Head of Partnerships at CAFU speaking to us um, about their move into the second-hand car market, not the only new service that they're offering at the moment as well, spot refueling and pressure washing as well. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.